thank you. I'm not sure about the superwoman, but uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's really. I I, I see you in all of these like uh, high power contexts. So I'm like, and I'm really really happy to have you here. And actually, to start it off, there is this one question that we always ask, um, which is, who are you, Emma? Mm. An easy one. <laughs> I, I think uh, right now I I have a tendency to see myself very much as uh, influenced by and part of different contexts and different communities. And I, I think they define me a lot. And that I, maybe because I'm right now reading so much about social identity theory and group processes. So I'm, I'm really influenced by that. But I, I feel like I'm, I'm actually many I have multiple identities. I am many people. And it depends a little bit on which one I activate when I talk to you, which is also interesting. Um, and I think, of course, that I, I identify a lot with being a researcher and a teacher, perhaps even in the other order, teacher and researcher. Uh, and I'm at the Stockholm School of Economics. Where you went <laughs> yep. a while ago, oh, fairly long time ago even. Yeah, like almost 20 years. I said 20 years already. Yeah, but I, since I started. I should since say. you started, yeah. I'm not that old. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember you a little bit as a student, but um, Ooh, uh, I'm still there. <laughs> I never left. It's like the Hotel California for me. You know, I started there when I was uh, 20, perhaps. And then I, I I worked a while and then I went back for my PhD and then I kind of just never left. Uh, partly because I meet so many great students and they, you know, take turns. I meet new people all the time. So since I feel like I'm very influenced by the environment all the time, I also feel like I change over time because of the many students that come in and the many collaborations I managed to have. And I... That's also something I think is very much me is that when I conduct research, I I love to collaborate. So right now I'm working a lot with the circus, contemporary circus. I've always worked a lot with arts organizations. That's always been like my thing to combine arts, humanities and business. And, uh, and I'm also, I just got a, a grant the other day, um, where which is a big collaboration between Stockholm School of Economics with research, uh, architects, uh, retail owners, uh, re- real estate, the police, uh, some not-for-profit organizations, where we're trying to connect the outer and the inner city in a super interesting research project. And I love working with those big questions in collaboration with many disciplines and many practices. I think that's very much me. I also have a a foot in media. So I am a columnist for the daily business paper here in Sweden, Dagens Industri. And I've been that for, I think, almost 21 and a half years or something like that. That's a crazy long time too. Uh, And that is you know, when you write an academic article, it would be like four people reading it if you're lucky. 
that's like the average number of readers of an article. So, but that's also why it's fun to write columns because you can reach a wider audience. Uh, and it's also like a, a language that's less dependent upon form, which I like too. That's me too. I think writing is an important part of my life. And then, of course, all the private stuff. And I think if you meet me as a mother or as a partner, that's quite different from the business school professor. So it's a little bit like, who do you want me to be? But uh, who should I be today? <laughs> which one? Which one of my many identities? Should I activate today? It's, that's always a question for me. And also, can you play with it? Sometimes I walk into a meeting and I, you know, it could be a meeting with the steel industry. And then I say, oh, I'm going to pretend I'm at the circus. What about if I act and say things as if I was at the circus? What will happen in the steel industry meeting? So I play with that. I have a fairly playful attitude towards identities too. Is that, that's me? What? Yeah, that's, I think that's me. There's plenty. Wow. There are plenty Thank more, you. Emma. <laughs> of course. Um, have you, I just got really curious about the steel industry, the circus steel industry crossover. What happened in the meeting? No, it's good. My, maybe that's a little bit of a prejudice, but I, I sometimes find it uh, easier to pretend I'm at the circus within the steel industry than the opposite. It was a little bit like when I was studying business at Stockholm School of Economics too, I also studied literature at the Stockholm University. And, and sometimes I would also do the same thing already then when I was 20. I, I, I guess I've always been doing this, but I would also dress as if I was at the business school, if I, I was working extra at the bank and I would walk in into my literature class or I would do the opposite. I would walk in and just like be my, you know, the typical studying liberal arts kind of person uh, at the business school. And I would often, at the business school, it was actually easier. It was a little bit more of a, uh, than in the arts and culture world, world where it's more, and I can see why, like, I understand totally why, but sometimes it's more protective of that you should say the right things and um, act the right way. The circus is fairly, I think, though, fairly open. So that's I, I feel like I can be pretty much myself at the circus, but in some other art organizations, sometimes it's actually been difficult to be a business person. But th that's interesting, right? Because one would think that and artists are so open and creative and to be with what is and... and Yet what I'm hearing you say is that that's where you are feeling limited rather than in the closed sort of, how come? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm obsessed with these questions. I actually wrote my PhD dissertation about it. And I think it's also because this is my own background. I come from a, a family where arts and culture and humanities, that, that was the only thing that was important. Uh, it was music, it was theater, it was opera, it was visual art, it was literature, poetry. Oh, that was the only thing that was valued. And I think I grew up very much, my father, he would almost despise, I was friends with somebody who was actually a business, or her father was a businessman, who made quite a bit of money too. They had a private helicopter and everything. <laughs> but my father would be like, he really, you know, 
he wasn't poor or anything. And it wasn't so much a political stand. It was more a, you know, something that he felt didn't pay attention to the things, the existential questions, the things that were worth something in life. He thought it was too materialistic. And uh, and when I said, I'm the only child, and when I told my father that I was going to go to the business school, you know, my father was so upset, he really wanted to stop me. He didn't want his only daughter, his only kid to go to business school. And at the first summer when I visited him down at their summer house, my, he said, this is my only child. Uh, she has chosen to go to business school. She might as well have become a prostitute and drug addict. <laughs> So, so, and that, of course, has been a little bit of my, you know, I've been trying to kind of understand what kind of position is that. And I, but I think also like I can understand it because it's also, it's a way to build another kind of capital, I think. Maybe that's my economist uh, viewpoint, but it's a way to kind of, well, if you don't have the economic capital, which my, my father wasn't poor or isn't poor at all, but he he didn't have. I mean, we lived at like the bottom floor of a. We didn't own an apartment. We had a car that was twenty years old. It was like, you know, absolutely no show off ever, and he didn't want that. He he didn't want to show off. He he despised that. He despised uh, everything that was like about brands or. <laughs> all that stuff, all materialistic stuff. And I think it was also a way to protect that, you know, he had something else and my mother as well. And the surrounding where I grew up, it was something else. We, you know, we had the taste, we had the, you know, and I, I, I think this is like, for me, this has been such a, you know, I've read the French sociologist Pierre Bourdieu when I was 20 something. And I was like, oh, finally somebody who could actually uh, put words and frames on that experience of coming from a very privileged environment, like I'm super privileged, uh, but not in the same sense that my classmates at Stockholm School of Economics, where there was like a different kind of, was a different snobbishness, for sure. We were snobbish in another way. And I feel like I've been so influenced by that. And I'm always kind of struggling, but I'm also curious about that. I it's, yeah, I, I, I'm super curious about norms and identities and, you know, how we kind of try to differentiate each other from each other too, so. And um, in your exploration of these topics, have you found any sort of favorite lines of thinking or, or sort of theoretical families that you resonate strongly with? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think Bourdieu has definitely been somebody who's been very, very influential in my life, for sure. Um, and what's his key argument? Like, what's the core? He would say that, well, now it's going to be very super simplified, but he say he would say that, first of all, that we do have different kind of capitals in a society. So one is the economic economic capital. Another one is this kind of cultural or symbolic capital that I come very much from that background. Uh, and since the economic capital is really stronger and can always eat, it's become even more important in order to survive to be somebody who's like almost despise the economic capital, to really take 
distance. You know, this is not, I'm not somebody like that. Because in fact, the economic capital is stronger in society. So, so this has been a way he would even say like to create another kind of upper class, uh, but privileged as well, because of course there are many people who, who don't have the economic capital and don't have that privilege to define what is good taste and not good taste. So my father was, uh, he's still alive. He's 90, well, turning 95. He's still working full time. Uh, so, uh, and he's still, you can't hear that he's 95. He's totally, no, he loves to discuss this issue still. Uh, but um, but he, he was also like a literary critic for one of the big newspapers for 50 years or something like that. So it was a lot. I think it was a lot. I grew up a lot with that kind of taste, you know, do you have the good taste? And that taste is also very tricky. I read a super great column about it recently here in Sweden, that that taste is so tricky, the kind of taste where it can change. Like, I remember, so my partner, for example, does not come from that environment. And we have a lot of discussions about that. At one point we were at, um, I've lived at Södermalm, of course, which is a hipster kind of neighborhood in Stockholm since the eight. I've lived here since the 80s. And which is so typical too, part, you know, I can see how it's important for my identity too. Like, I'm not exactly like a Stockholm School of Economics. Like, I'm always, like, I always introduce myself, like, I'm at Stockholm School of Economics, but I work with art. (laughs) But I'm into contemplative science. I'm whatever it is, like, it's always that, but I always do that. And I, you know, I know that, but I do it still, even if I understand the mechanisms behind it. But um, uh, so my partner, for example, so we were sitting uh, this summer at the cafe and he pointed to somebody with a pair of Birkenstock. And he said, do you think that person works at the hospital? And I said, I'm not sure. I think like everybody has Birkenstock here. And he said, but they're ugly. And I said, yeah, but they're comfortable. And, and then we looked around and it was like everyone in the lineup for this bakery, which is also like sort of hipster bakery, everyone almost wearing Birkenstock, me too. And, 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 and I read this column about it just a couple of weeks ago and it was like so good. It's like, how do you know? Are these are ugly. They're ugly. They're expensive. These are like people that don't like, but suddenly everybody wears them still. And how do you know that? How do you know? And then it can change, like within seconds. No, suddenly nobody wears them. And it's that kind of, that's the kind of capital I think I grew up very much with. And then I, when I went to Stockholm School of Economic, I just met another kind of capital that I didn't have, which was, you know, that case. Like, I've never been on a sailboat or on a golf course or tennis court or anything like that. And I, I you know, I didn't know the codes. So, but I think that also started like a curiosity for that. And I still, I'm very, I just, I'm still very influenced by that. And I find it so fun, fascinating, but very difficult to step out of yourself. The, my way of doing it is trying to play with them. That's a way to create a little bit of a distance because just, I don't want to be. And I was like very, when I had my child, my son, I have a son who's 25. And when he grew up and I was a single mother for many years, I was very like, ah, oh, I'm not. You know, I was like, I'm not going to be like my father. I'm going to be different. Uh, we're going to do like everything. We're going to take the Finland ferry. We're going to go on charter trips. We're going to do them on tr- lots of interrailing. But we'll do like different things. And we have like, I have my 
millionaire friends from Stockholm School of Economics who go hang out with them. You're going to see all different kind of things. Ah, didn't work so well. I have to admit to be pretty much like me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny what you're pointing to because I what I'm what I'm hearing you kind of frame here in a nice way is that that the like what does it make you when you are you can you can be something or you can not be something very sort of explicitly and and it's a it's a fun way of also like explaining like the the duality or like the like you it's it's part of the same coin but you're you're just moving in a on a different currency if you will um and it sounds like also in trying to really not be something you become something else like and, and maybe that's also limiting uh and have you um wh- where did you find your freedom like how did you find your freedom where do you i think I've, i find my freedom in the intersection and that i think that's why i love to collaborate with many different people because that is also like a way to kind of get away a little bit like so there's definitely some kind of you know, I, you know, at some, well, maybe I should say it like this. Sometimes I do find like my, what I feel like it's my freedom that I experience as my freedom when I go very much back to my, you know, where I grew up, that kind of um, surrounding, that environment uh, that I, I can feel like this is like, I, of course, I feel at home. Uh, because I know, and I know how to behave and what to say and what to wear and all that. Uh, and then I can feel like that's my freedom. But since I've bred so much, I know it's not. <laughs> I know it's the opposite. <laughs> I like, wow, this is not freedom. This is my prison. Because uh, this is really, because it influences me so much. So I'm also... I'm really much, I'm trying very deliberately to always break out of those. You know, that's what my whole research project is about. How do we actually, you know, it's about bubble, I call it bubble hopping, but it's kind of a fun word for it. But just like trying to break out of your, you know, the circles that tend to define everything you do from your, the the way you dress, the way you talk, you know, uh, what you eat or drink and actually how, now I read a lot about it recently. It's, it's crazy, you know, the research about it. It's like, if, for example, if you have, a, even on a math test that you think is so objective and rational, you know, depending on what kind part of your social identity you activate, you might perform very differently. So, for example, they tested with mathematicians um, and they had like questions that were exactly the same, but they had one one problem was about something that was a little bit more politicized, like gun. It was in the U.S., so it was gun control. And another same, exactly the same solution was about something that was much more neutral. Cinnamon buns, I don't know, something that wasn't like politicized. And they tested it and it turned out like even like skilled mathematicians, they would have a much higher risk, I guess you should call it risk, to turn in the wrong answer if they didn't agree politically with the answer that was right, that was correct. So their like political opinions and perhaps also like their identity as somebody who's for or against gun control 
would actually influence their ability to solve that mathematical problem. And there are like tons and tons and tons and tons of studies around that. So, of course, it's also the way, I mean, it really influences us in so many ways. So I guess for me, freedom is also moving in between and is connecting different. So and, and trying to kind of, for example, like build identities that kind of bridges between different. So I know I can get a little bit more different perspectives, but I think I, I'm not, I'm a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that old. I'm only 50 plus, but I, I'm still working on that question. Uh, so much like, you know, every day in my life, but also in my research and my teaching. And I find it super curious and I, I'm not sure where is freedom. Like, I'm also not a very, I don't believe so much in, I mean, in a way we are not so free. I mean, if you, if you take these theories for um, real, we're not so free, actually. So I don't know freedom. Maybe there is no freedom. I have that tendency to. In, that's how I tend to understand the world. But, um, what about you? What about you? When I talk about these, like, identity, what, 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 what do you think about? What does that bring up in you? Do you recognize it or do you have a completely different way of thinking? No, no, I, I recognize that a lot. And, and that's also the, um, I, I didn't have, I mean, I, I also, I come from privilege in a way that I'm, I am uh, uh, sort of socially fluent. I'm, I'm like agile. So I can, I can really move between, and I also did that with social groups, which in a lot of the sort of the the guy groups that I hung out with, I was a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't, I didn't stick to my place in the hierarchy. I was kind of moving a little bit and I was picking people up on like, on the, like they weren't as cool or whatever. And so it's always a little bit of an, of an oddball, but I could also just fit in. And so in, in parts of my periods of my life, I've been really good at fitting in at my own expense. Yeah, I, I always, and I always find it curious, the, um, this attachment to ideas. Because I don't have that. So yeah, I, I can relate. It relates to how I see the world. I mean, I've been, I was, I was in the music business. I was like, you know, I was a, like a, a pop star. And then I was in the Stockholm School of Economics, like completely immersed in that. And then I was in the sort of management consultancy world. And then I was in the materials world, like with, with plastics particularly. And it, there's so many like stories and opinions and but they're the same. There's so many shared stories and opinions. And so it's like, there's just, there's very little room for moving um, on top of all the social things, like social boxes you need to fill in a way. Um, and I kind of find that particularly interesting as well in the Swedish context where we are. Um, there's a story that we are so, that there are so many possibilities for us. And I'm married to an Icelander and I feel that there is probably more possibilities here than there is in Sweden. Um, How come? Is there a given example of how we are in Sweden? Kind of what you were, the way that I heard or understood your story about the Birkenstock thing. 
It's like when things change in Sweden, things tend to change at the same time. And, and then we're different together. Um, whereas I see here, I see there's, there's a little bit more room for your own identity. It's such a small community anyways, and everybody knows everything about everybody. So it's like the alternative, you, 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 have, you, you kind of grab what possibilities you have to um, be different. And then you're not excluded because of that. Because there isn't enough people to like form more subgroups. So like people are still part of the, it's still, there's still like, like a larger coherence. If that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And it's also like, and how much do you think that depends on uh, that you also come from the outside? Does that? Yeah. I have no idea yet. What about your partner? Does your partner? She's also partly from the outside. I mean, she she grew up in the States. Uh, She moved here when she was like, she moved back here when she was 19. So she had like a big gap there, like in formative years. So We'll see, like, as we find our way into, I'll report back to you in like a year or something. (laughs) No, because I also find that a very interesting (laughs) question. Like I've I've lived abroad back and forth in my life, um, mainly in Canada, French Canada, a little bit in the US and a little bit in Germany. Uh, And I always find that, of course, that always feels like more freedom to live somewhere else. I always feel like I'm much, because I don't know all the codes and they don't know who I am in the same way. So um, it becomes easier in that sense. To live yeah, and you have like a simple escape. To, I, yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't. Exactly. You can make do everything, you know, all mistakes. And like, oh, sorry, I'm Swedish. I didn't know that. <laughs> how, how do you see the students that you meet mm-hmm. when you talk about these concepts of, of mm-hmm. bubble hopping and and the stories or like the, the group identities and so forth. How do they interact with this? How do they understand it? Uh, super, that's a good question, I think. I think that's very interesting. Um, it depends a bit, I think, on maturity, if I can say so. If I meet bachelor students that are very young, they might be um, more skeptical. And especially because the bachelor program at, at Stockholm School of Economics SSE, we call it from now on, <laughs> is mostly Swedish. Uh, we've started with international students, but still mainly Swedish. And it tends to be, I don't know, There's a, it's a very individualistic, I think. So you don't like that. <laughs> it's like, because the, the group norm there is that we, no, no, we're all different. Uh, you know, I'm a unique. Uh, I don't want to be influenced by that. At the same time, the culture is super strong. I feel like the norms are so strong. Uh, but it's it's not that easy. Um, I mean, they like the bubble hopping, I would say. They, they think that's fun, but it's also maybe less because of the theories behind and more because it's fun to meet people that you don't usually meet. And also fun to share uh, the stories back in the classroom when they jumped in all different directions. And they, they're they also creative people, so they, they really do jump in all different directions. And it's like, it becomes like a fun, but I think for, for many of them, also like they get some very skills that they can see that they can use in life, like how do you ask questions, how do you listen, how do you share, da, da, da. all that is like useful skills. So they, they tend to like it, but it's not because of the theory behind necessarily. I think a lot of people in many, many different 
not only among my students, but just in general, tend to be rather, feel a bit uncomfortable because we have this idea that we are free, autonomous, authentic, ourselves kind of me's, whatever what you call it, egos, not egos, but we, that we tend to be very much in that. We, that's, that has become, I think, a truth in many cases. Among the master's students, I have much, many more, I have international master's students, I have international classes. I have a feeling that they are, perhaps also because they are in Sweden and uh, they're either exchange students or they take a master program and they reflect a bit on where they come from and where they are now. And also because they're a bit more mature and they're just fantastic. I love my master classes. They tend to be much more interested in the theories behind you. And they tend to do, they like doing experiments. They do that among ourselves, like among the group. They will, you know, really check how much we are influenced by different biases and how we will be influenced by the group norms, etc. And easier on, uh, on the master level. On the bachelor level, they like the exercise, but I'm not sure they're very comfortable with the theories behind. But and, and neither are some of my colleagues. I mean, this is also like, and I think some of our mutual friends, if I can be a bit provocative here too, I think some of our mutual friends do not agree. And I can ask you, yet, like, I don't agree with that research. And I'm like, oh, fine. This is not a question about agreeing or not agreeing, really, to me. I think it's, you know, there's quite a bit of research pointing out to that the environment influences us a lot. And that maybe, I also think it's a, for me, it's a political issue, actually, to be, have, like, we do have multiple identities. All of us. We all, nobody's only that kind of person. We all have multiple identities, and that's important. That's really important in society. So for me, it's also a little bit like I can go into the belief when I talk about the importance of it. But when it comes to the research, it's not really about believing or not believing. I think there's very sound research that we tend to be influenced by the groups we're in and the identities we activate. But it's not popular. <laughs> that's for sure. It's not, you know, some theories, I said, oh, this is now I'm becoming super cynical. But sometimes like you can, oh, you can, you know what theories to, if you want to become a popular teacher, if you want to have great course evaluations, if you want to become popular as a teacher, there are certain things, certain theories, certain tests, certain truths uh, that you can talk about that will make you much more popular than others. But, and I think, the whole idea about group identity is not necessarily something that makes you popular. We want to be unique selves. That's so, I mean, it's so interesting because it kind of, to me, it, it, it just scales to some sort of global level. Like it, it very quickly goes into like, because of the, the, the Glasgow meeting that's going on. It's like, that's also like, what are the truths that we are subscribing to because people have made careers out of them? And like, what, what is okay to question here? And, and who do you become when you question certain truths? And, and, and it's both the group identity, but it's also like, what is the system? And, and I think it's, it's interesting to also look at like, what are the types of solutions that we are allowing for? 
this is like to give two examples. I, I just watched the, uh, the Mark Zuckerberg's little thing about the meta, that Facebook's going to become meta. Um, and that's one expression of it. And, I'll point to, and then I heard somebody else talk um, critically, but, but still very sort of in a nice, like critically in a very succinct way about the World Economic Forum, for instance. But that, like both of those two for me are like pointing towards that we are living in a, in a technocracy, like technocracy. Do you say that in English too? I don't know. But like, <laughs> no, but, but the, uh, the... In French um, we do. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Um, but then, and then that the origin of the word was like techno is something unnatural. Like it's, it's the, the Greek word that means that something is unnatural. And, and, and krati is like from democracy. Krasi is like the, the, some, something around control. And so we're like handing over control to the technology and, and it's at the expense of the hu- humanity and, or humanities in general or, but, or just humanity. And I don't know, does, that, is, does it tie into this in a way? Yeah, I think it does. I think it, I mean, um, uh, I think I've explored more of the Facebook meta discussion than the World Economic Forum. But, um, but the, uh, definitely the Facebook meta or the whole kind of, technology and um, I mean all the philosophers today addressing that question um, and what it really uh, happens with our human judgment and morality and everything if we hand over the control to uh, that kind of tech firms and um, tech capitalism. So yeah I think that is definitely something that's it's 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 a super big question, and um, and it, yeah, I guess there is something similar. I can see the link there. I can um, association between them. It's a little bit of the same. We still like we we think we can. I can see that among my students. Like we think we want can handle it ourselves, and that is like individuals. If we can only you know we. But I decide what I put on Facebook. Yeah, but that's not that is not enough or, or like i'll design a new facebook yeah. um, that yeah. that is better and and then you so my values uh, yeah. are because i'll just pick the right ones you know that's what a lot of my colleagues are doing is that that's not good or will that be the same thing do you think <laughs> okay that's that's well i don't know i mean my my um let's say it this way i desire um multiplicity like i i want to be flooded by different perspectives and and i mean bubble hopping it's good but i, I would more like it like to be a, a, a like a constant like there aren't any bubbles even they're just like or like there are bubbles but they're like the little carbon dioxide things in like when you open the soda bottle like there's so many small ones that are just like Absolutely. yeah i agree i i'm very much into foam that where the bubbles kind of meet and nice they, yeah that's my that's the goal <laughs> Yeah, I see that. Yeah, so the multiplicity, and because it kind of, and, and then there's the other thing which is tying back to, because I hear you talk. I mean, we're talking a lot about culture, right? Like kind of the the water that we are swimming in. Like, what what is it? Like, how do we catch sight of it? How can we? Mm. John Raveke talks about sort of removing the glasses, and like we need we are looking through lenses, and how can we take the glasses off and look at the lenses, maybe clean them, and then put them back on, or like shift them out for sunglasses or. Like exactly. Else. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah. But um, 
but but the point to me is like uh, culture is also a technology. So we're like building technology to solve issues and there's also technology here um which is that we that it's so ingrained in us that we don't even see it. I don't know if that mm. perspective mm. resonates with you or like mm. if you have any mm. if you would like try talk around that how what comes <laughs> I think, up. <laughs> I think it does is in a way but at the same time I feel like I don't know why is sometimes I I you know I can I don't know why I have that uh, that sometimes is difficult when you bring in I I think it's I hear it a lot of course among people around me uh, but I still I'm not sure I've digested it myself can you see the difference like you know I feel like I can say um sentences I've heard other people say around this topic but I'm not sure I have digested it so I can say something that I kind of believe in I would be able to kind of you know refer to some people um I know and that is what they usually also like in the circus research which is a fairly small area in life but this is, it's a big conference actually this weekend coming up, so I'm a bit influenced by circus research now. There's a lot of interesting circus research, and they work a lot with also a lot of a post-humanistic uh, kind of view of the world, also where there are no real borders between us as human beings and material things, and we actually always interact with the artifacts, etc. And also like the, you know, more kind of fa- perhaps the core way of where technology also becomes incorporated in us, etc. But personally, I'm not super well digested in this area. Um, are you? The technology? No. <laughs> let's let's move on to another. Subject. Let's move on. But, but what is what is interesting to me? Oh, but, but yeah, let's just to because I there's another adjacent sort of question, but it's like this something that I've been thinking a lot about is this idea that we can design cultures mm. yeah, in companies and in society. Yeah. Have, is that something that's more alive to you? And like, have you that's thought about alive. that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more alive. Why I have that? Um, I can't really talk about technology, but um, yeah, that's more alive. Absolutely. Um, and can and we that is design different. cultures? <laughs> like, that's my question. That's a, I mean, you always get that. Wasn't it like typical, like especially when it comes to like organizational culture, like do this, 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 and then you're going to have a culture? <laughs> no, not going to be that way. It's like something that happens, something we carry, something we can't plan, and something that emerges in interactions uh, between humans and between things on shore and between nature. Uh, so, uh, but it's. Uh, it's not something we can totally plan in that way. I don't think so either. And I think a lot of that is very naive. At the same time, I still believe that is not is, is somewhere in between because, of course, there are certain things. Uh, perhaps not you as an individual can. Like, it's not like this new CEO was going to change the whole culture of this hundred thousand people company. Mm. 
perhaps not. Uh, but still, it's much more complex than that. But still, I think there are definitely, if we, if we do behave in different ways than we've done, if we start doing things, we might twist it a little bit at least and something else might emerge. Not that we can plan it so necessarily so well, but I think we can, and especially if we are many of us in a movement somehow, there are things we can twist and that can go into some other spin and not totally predictable, but uh, still different at least. Uh, I think that's my point of it, that it's definitely not so easily changed or easily created, uh, but possible to at least influence. What are the, uh, in your experience, like what are the things that you would care for to have, uh, I don't know, life-giving culture? Like In an organization, for example. Or yeah, work. let's do that. Yeah, sure. Uh, just like I need to pick like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In yeah. a, in a cult, like in a family or in a, <laughs> in, in a neighborhood or in a school or school is actually very nice. If I if I was to start a new university, a new edu- uh, higher education, yeah, that would that's interesting. What would it be? I think that the, I love the multiplicity that you talked about. That resonates with me too. Yeah, it's a good way to have like to and be able to kind of handle differences and be curious about differences and uh, perhaps also. No, see see ways of how we can do that in a you know that would definitely be one of my keywords. Another one would be that I would. It's difficult because the cultures tie together too. So uh, SSE cultures is a very strong culture, for example, um, but it also I think limits, and it's also very many ways elitistic culture. I'm not so fond of that. I would you know I. I would prefer it was more open, more humble, more um, inviting new perspectives, different perspectives, more, yeah, I like, I guess I like when things are more, the borders are easier to kind of step over and bridge between outside and inside too. That would be important to me. But also, like, I think, like, it would be also things just, of course, those are like classical things of just being more, being able to be, have different, one thing, for example, would be, I would not have this idea that we have different personalities so much. Um, I would much rather say that we're in different moods. Uh, So today, I'm going to be like this. Tomorrow, I might be somebody else. Um, and I think people are different, but some people are more perhaps moody than others. But that is something like organization theory never talks about. So it's very little about moodiness. It's so much about you are black, red or blue or green or that type or that personality or whatever. I would have much, much more of a fluid uh, categorization too. And that you could actually be different from day to day and you could bring out different personas and we could more playful and of course much more that I think that's you know I've been thinking a lot and I was working yesterday even though it was Sunday with my with the circus and the circus research 
and and trying to like figure out what is circus around this. Uh, we're talking about how to create trust uh, and uh, you know circus. What is trust in the circus and what is circus about trust? And it's also they, it's always about this kind of failure, such an important thing, of course, that we talk about in many organizations, learning from failures and sharing failures, etc. But also kind of like expecting that there will be failures all the time. I mean, that things like that I would love to have and much more, of course, of a vulnerability and, and that, you know, weaknesses, you know, it's good that I have weaknesses because that is also necessary for us to need each other since I am, I'm super bad at this. So I definitely need somebody like my colleague who's good at that. So it becomes like the weaknesses ties together to that. I would love to have, Oh, that's, it's a fun question. It's a fun question. What, what, you know, your dream culture in an organization. Uh, and of course, very, as I was thinking, like what what communities the, the the best community I've been in. That's actually when I was down, when I lived in Montreal, Canada. I I started uh, burlesque dancing, and uh, there are certainly many communities around burlesque as well. But this was a neo burlesque tradition, and and the community around that school was just fantastic. It was so inclusive for sure you could be any age any uh, gender for sure and any ethnicity and it's like you were just welcome there one is like oh you are 50 plus years old everybody else is 20 here but that doesn't matter um and it wasn't and it was so but we never took anything for really serious i think it would be very playful too it was always I think burlesque, that was the great thing with burlesque is that you never take it too serious. It's always like sexuality, for example. It's, it's, a, it's fun and it's not serious and you make mistakes and that's life. And that kind of attitude, if I could have more burlesque and more circus in my business school, I think I would be much happier. And I think the playfulness, the failures, the not so serious, non-attachment in that way and non-judgmental, of course. Yeah. But are there things that, that you have seen in your experience that are, if we are somewhere, like kind of wherever we are, and we want to change culture, mm. like what are the first couple of steps that, that one would take if... So let's say I have, I don't know why, but I have this, but let's, where are we here? We're in this, you and I and the listener here is working in an organization. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, like, I have no fantasy. I have to like be in a concrete setting apparently. Oh, but it's good. Because it matters, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let's say that we are, we, we, we are working in an organization. Uh, perhaps at the department or something like that, and 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 and, and we think it's it's a, it's a stiff, uh, power, uh, elitistic, uh, conservative, uh, traditional culture that we are not so happy with. Or or like even I'm, I'm thinking like, I was thinking more like okay, so we are in company X and we're we're in an oil company, right? And and we've been doing things in a certain way, mm. uh, and. 
yeah. all of a sudden, like a lot of the, the, the clear, like efficiency, you know, derived like value streams are just being kind of reduced or, or, you know, and we need to start innovating and we need to start branching out. And, and like, so our, our context is changing. And so we see that we need to do something about the culture. We need to have, you know, what, what does everybody talk about now? Like, I mean, sustainability and care. And I mean, I, I don't know what, what the keywords would be, but so, so we have an idea that we, we need to be more agile and we need to be more um, responsible or something like that. Yeah. But, but how would we, what is the first lever to pull or like, what's the first stone to, to like, and, and to throw or, or like, what, what should we throw out or what should we bring in to, to start the journey? It's mm, a good question. Um, I think we have to, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just totally making it up. This is not the researcher talking. <laughs> This is, I don't know, perhaps the burlesque dancer at her kitchen table now <laughs> talking or something, because I don't know. But um, I would say, though, that I would yeah, probably, and, and there would be a few of us, because if I was alone, I'd just leave, I think. I would just yeah. leave and say, yeah. sink and bye-bye. Uh, but if we were a few of us, so at least we had like support from each other. Um, I don't know. You know what? I tried to do this in the 1989, perhaps. I was working for one of the big, big banks. Uh, big, big, and they're also big, but the big bank, one of the big banks in, in Sweden. And I actually formed a team with some colleagues. This was 1989, I think. And we formed a team and we couldn't work with it during daytime. So we would sneak in at night and weekends and work with our secret project, which was about sustainability. Uh, and we worked together with World Wildlife Foundation. And we created together with them, we created this card that you could use and a certain amount would go back to the World Wildlife uh, Foundation, Wildlife Foundation to, to create biodiversity. And we felt that um, the bank, and then we had tons of discussions. This is still good to consume. I was a bit negative. I was like, but a card, you know, we can't have a credit card because with credit card, people might overconsume, and that's really bad, et cetera, et cetera. That was 1989. So anyhow, so, so then we presented, we had this fantastic solution, we thought, and we presented it, and people were just like, hey, what are you talking about? Why should a bank care about sustainability and what about biodiversity well, i mean who cares about that we're a bank we're here to make money or whatever and it was just like they called me i remember this boss calling me like little miss ethics and moral and then i quit but and and of course we didn't try at all to change the culture we just worked on this product that we thought was super cool and that we thought would actually have an impact and then today there are tons of initiatives like that but this was 1989, so they weren't. Time was not ready for it either. That's the whole thing too. Is timing is important there. And then we didn't work on culture. So if I had could redo that, for example, what would I have done? It would have been difficult if time is not right. I don't. I think it's so difficult. But otherwise, of course, I would. I think I would try to get more people to believe in it somehow that change is possible and that there are alternatives. I, I would work a lot, I think, with future thinking tools 
Um, so even if we can't perhaps me and this oil manager I have next to me, even if we had like different ideas, I would say, oh, okay, but what kind of future do we want? Perhaps we could connect there. I would work a lot with um, imagination and storytelling and visuals, all that stuff. I think that is a bit useful actually when it comes to that. And of course, try to get like, think more movement even within the organization. So how can we create like a movement in the organization and make it fun again? Like it's a lot of that. One thing we really didn't do well in the 1980s there at the banks, like we were like so serious. It was like, there was no playfulness in it. It was no fun. You know, it was only tears and nighttime work. And I think I would do it more, Playful, but it's a, it's a super good question, and I don't know. I think it's a, and also like I feel like why I don't know why I don't do that more. But I wish I had done that more at SSC, for example. That would have been great, because um, I think it's really needed. Because it's not, it's never enough with smart ideas. You need you need to change uh, much more fundamentally. Will never be enough without a like a great that, that that I I think our card there wasn't so bad but it's the idea wasn't so bad but it was, of course it never happened because we were just we didn't change anything around it. It's interesting because it's like when when you said movement. Now I, I I think about it in, I mean to me it means of course like a lot of people coming together and we're creating a movement. But if 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 I kind of go back to the actual word, it's like there there's like to get some, how do I get someone to move? Yeah. And of course I can like, you know, poke them with a sharp stick or something like hurt them and they will move. Um, I can, I can probably also like offer them something they want and, and they would maybe move if, it, if they wanted enough, you know, and, and then like, how, how is the relationship between the, and then of course it's the um, other thing. If I, if I threaten them, maybe I get them to move the other way. Um, you know, and, and in a way, I feel that to me, it's that that's uh, a lot of the sustainability discussion at the moment. It, it's like a particular perspective, um, and it's very, um, very violent in a way. It's like do it my way, or uh-uh, like there will be nothing, you know. And yeah. and it's, uh, I wonder what it would look like if it was playful. Let's put it that way. And like, if, if we would be able to kind of play with it, because I think if you are playing with big structures, then you probably need to be very clear. But but there's also people and, and like people are, are small and feel powerless sometimes. And so. Yeah. yeah and I think it's important, but it's, I mean, just making people, you know, I'm thinking like dance again. I can feel like, because there's something there that you kind of, how do you. Awaken that, or it's such a natural thing in a way. The movement is such a that's you know, your remember your kids when they were small, it's like, but then at some point, people also become super afraid of it somehow. And you're pointing also to something which is like, ah, shit. But, but now I'm, I'm just imposing my own, like where I'm at at the moment. In my, but that's in great, my head, like what I'm thinking about I'm because I'm tired of myself. So <laughs> no, but but the dancing. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, 
dancing is movement. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's circular. It's not getting you anywhere, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Like, so, ah. so like, and, and so it, it kind of, to me, it relates to like, what's the point? Because it feels like we are um, in, in business. I mean, the point in business is clear. It's to make more profit. Mm-hmm. Like that it's, it's in the laws, it's in the tax, like it's mm-hmm. in the tax code, it's in all of it. And, and, mm-hmm. and so then, then the movement becomes very sort of Western circular, like arrow, arrow of time. Like this is progress. We're marching in step one, one way. And those that can't keep up, they, okay, good riddance, you know, more place for people that can pick up, uh, keep up. Um, and then there's the movement, which is dance, you know, and, and that's where I am drawn towards. Like I, I, that this multiplicity would, would be more dance. And then, you know, if you are in a wheelchair, you can still dance, you can still move, but, but you might have problems keeping up with somebody on, you know, either if you bought these, like the super legs, like the Blade Runner legs, or, or if you are like on just normal, um, you know, legs of meat and bone, I don't, I don't know. But we might not have to compete. It might, it might, I think circularity is an important concept to bring into this. Yeah, and what will, you know, does it have to be so linear, everything that's business? I think because I also think the circus, again, like, you know, the circus research is also about circularity. That's a whole base behind circus as well. There's circularity there. Which is, and I mean, I, I think I'm very, just in general, I'm inspired by this kind of, is a relationship to the world too that's different if we have that instead of a linear uh, process where one thing leads to another and we're competing, whatever we are, because of that person in a wheelchair not keeping up, who cares? That person in a wheelchair will move in a way that I will not do with my super legs. Or whatever. It's just like that is also, there's got to be some other way of, I mean, and I think that's also where the sustainability discourse and the sustainability concern collides with a lot of our thinking today because they don't go together. It's, and of course, I am super influenced by another sociologist uh, called Hartmut Rosa. He's a German sociologist who talks about resonance and that that is a con that's more like that. it's our relationship to each other and to the world and to things and to nature or whatever uh, that is a lot less planned you can't plan it it happens or it doesn't happen it resonates there's something within me that resonates with something within you and there's some third thing that comes up from our you know, it's a Martin Buber kind of thinking too, where it's like really three parts all the time. And that is, but it's not planned, but you have to be open for it, but you have to kind of approach the world in, and that's some, some kind of curiosity instead of uh, control there uh, that drives it. I don't know. I can business, I don't know. I'm not a business person in that sense. You are much more. Can you be more... Um, circular, playful, less planned, less controlled, less um, attached while being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. That's what I'm betting everything on, that, that is possible kind of thing. Um, and because it's also interesting what you, we, we, where we started with these different capitals. Um, and we're, 
exploring if we can um, work with with like the four, like four different capitals, like mm-hmm. economic, social, relational, and uh, like uh, there's something else that I should know by now, but I, I'm blanking at the moment. Um, but it's like the, these four different ones. And so how can we, you know, if I'm, I'm going to Berlin for a conference and I'm there, um, I could buy a hotel room with my money or I can call a friend, uh, yeah. you know. And so like they're, they're very clear exchanges between like spiritual capital and, and like, and, and so what if we would make them visible? And one of the things that I'm really struggling with there is that we are still thinking in like, what's the unit? That's what I'm struggling with. It's like, how do we, these are four different capitals. So what's the, what's the unit? And if we have four different units, what's the exchange rate? Yeah. And, and that's, that's going to end up being a matter of opinion or like a, it's, it, it's, a, it's something that falls out from how we design the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it, it's then going to, what's going to shine through is how we believe the world works. And so then it's going to be my um, aware or unaware sort of relationship to the metaphysics that I subscribe to. It's going to be, it, it's, I mean, I realize that I, I don't have the, I, I have, I'm, sub, I'm, a, I'm a subject. Like, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be subjective. And so how do we source that metaphysics from, from a wide enough sample, if you will, <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah, so that we can have healthy conflict and that's very i think it's a very and i think that's a very interesting question and also that i I mean you are thinking about that in your company with your partners in the company yeah yeah i'm I'm working with a similar project once again with circus but another group of circus artists at least Mm. it's a european project called the sphere and it's all about you know, using a contemporary circus as the kind of, because it's a fairly small community, fairly small, but not huge at least. What about, could we design ourselves um, new, um, really using crypto economics, but blockchain, but uh, our like own system, if that ever going to happen? That would be like a different kind of same thing, same idea. Like would that would actually think about different value, like different capitals, and and also like that could make that all artists could have a larger influence, but also of course venues and audiences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we could like all have tokens, and so for example, and that could also change the way we value creativity and. So, for example, we're working now that um, there's a there's a big circus festival in Paris. So one performance, an old performance, has been have been picked throughout, like through the sphere that been voting, uh, and then there will be like because circus is just like done once and then it kind of disappears. But here's like okay, so what about if there are new interpretations of that those acts? And, and we can actually use the tokens to kind of like who could do it, what kind of acts, and then they will get like a kickback from the creative act. Oh, somebody's using it in their circus, whatever. So it's like, can we create a system? But it's not, it will not only be economic capital. It's the same kind of idea, but a little bit like clear about, okay, we need everyone who's kind of 
invested in the circus. But that could be artists, it could be venues, it could be uh, audiences, it could be uh, even you know, bureaucrats or whatever it is, like everyone that's kind of invested. Could we find a new system where different values could actually be come into play? But we're not there yet. But it's it's a very interesting question. Yeah. And, and I'm like, there's so many thoughts that are spinning in my head now. But um, they just kind of blanked each other out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that happens. <laughs> but, that happens. But yeah. It's just something around, it's, it's interesting with the circus because it's like, well, one of the things that I wanted to, to say was that the, Okay, there are two things. Yeah, yeah, there. Um, one thing is that when we are rewarding certain things, so we're saying like, yes, creativity is really important. Um, in in a way, I kind of feel that that that's what's happened in in science in a little bit. Like the, we're saying that oh, novelty. It's not creativity necessarily, but it's like novelty is really important. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at like material science, like there is. And, and plastics in particular, just to be very concrete. It's like mm-hmm. there are materials that have, been, that have been around forever that have like fantastic capacities um, that that if they were only like a little bit purer, but we're talking about moving from like 99.98% to like 99.999% purer, we could do like wonderful things for green chemistry and so forth. Um, or like green, green energy, I mean, uh, for instance. But... Um, that's not sexy enough. So like that doesn't get funded because at the moment we should all look at like biomaterials or like this novel thing or this next novel model, like something that that's probably never is going to be scaled or like a very, very small fraction of whatever we are looking at at the moment is going to be scaled. And so you have this huge gains from like small incremental improvement, but it's not. And so like what happens when we um, say that, oh, scientists are so innovative and they are so, you know, I mean, it's it's a really nice intention and it has unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. So that's like just one thing that I wanted to mm-hmm. lift up. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I was thinking about just as a rest, like on the, on the culture design thing is like, what if we would start designing uh, not the content of the culture, but just the, the, the process of change. Like how do we evolve the culture? Like just mm-hmm. focusing on the, mm-hmm on the evolution of cultures mm-hmm. that we can like design for death in a sense. Like how do we let these things die? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we make sure that they die? Like just to, cause that's one of the things we say, right? Oh, there's nothing constant, but change. And then everybody's like, yeah, that's really good. And, and I'm building these little pyramids that I want like, and with the assumptions that they're going to last forever, like just the, like the free cash flow model, like the horizon yeah. value. Uh, we do this for 10 years and then it's just going to go on forever. It's like, what? You know, and that's where we derive like the most of the value from, like of a, of a company. Like, what if we would just design for death? Like that, that yeah. everything's going away. Like, yeah. how does it go away so that mm. you are okay and you are okay and you are okay and you mm. are okay too, mm. so that it doesn't have to be an, a threat to then the identity like that we've been talking about. I like that. I like that. I did a study of one that's a quite a while ago, but um, was when in Sweden uh, we got some money left when we were doing a big reform and we started some foundations and there was one foundation called the future of culture. I don't know if you remember that. Um, Framtidens kultur in Swedish. Nobody listens in Swedish, but um, the, uh, the culture of the future. 
and and that foundation, especially in foundations, that like never happens. They should live forever. But this foundation was designed to die, uh, and that it should actually use all the money and then die. And I think that was so. I, I wrote a book about it together with a journalist, and it was like I felt that that was such a great idea, actually. And I think it did a, that foundation made a lot of difference because of that design. It was like a risk taking. It was. You know, it could go outside the boundaries. It was wonderful. So yes, yes, I think that's that's a fabulous design principle. That's a fab. Let's do it. Let's like let let's work on that. I don't know how much is written about it, but I I think there's you know there's something there that's I really believe in. I have that example from that foundation. I, oh, and it was totally designed to die. That's. I love that. We have a thing to talk about. We have right. a thing to I'm write gonna, about. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but seriously, I'm serious about that. I think that is actually something, you know, maybe there are tons of examples. I can't just think of them. But in general, I think um, let's, let's, let's like, this, 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 like, oh, I wish now I want to, I, I just have an article I have to submit, resubmit in um, a journal and it's, about design principles, unfortunately, this one is not there. And I think if I add it now, last revision, they might just die themselves. But, uh, <laughs> but I wish I had written about this because I think this is an interesting experiment to think about. Let's do that. Let's find a way to, yeah, let's, yeah. let's design for death. Maybe that will change a lot. Not human death, but um, the organization, the death of the organization. Yeah, and, and and I mean, we all die. Yeah, too. I mean, it's 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 actually absolutely. Thankfully, yeah, exactly. Because would be horrible. I'm also thinking Lars Jelundsen, a Swedish author, had this not a short story about um, this person who lived forever. It was horrible. I was that. I was Martin Heglund, philosopher. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so important to die. Yeah, I love that idea. Thanks a lot. That was like, yeah, that was the the best thing that has happened. <laughs> I love those ideas. Now we can't get attached to that. That idea has to die too at some point. But for now, let's explore it. And maybe that's a good uh, pause point for this conversation. Is there um, is there something else that wants to be said? There was. I remember reading lots of questions that we haven't started with yet. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh. The thing oh. is, actually, what I find is just by uh, making those questions visible, um, we are we have kind of covered them, not in the way that we intended, or like with that with that sort of sketch. But it was, I think we were, we, we, they're all there. Oh. <laughs> That's good. And it doesn't matter either at all. And nobody else has read them. So it really doesn't matter either. So, um, no, and I think what actually, I mean, I think there's something there. I, just, oh, I have a hard time letting go of that idea now. Yeah. I was at a wonderful workshop, a performance workshop at um, the Royal Dramatic Theatre here in Stockholm recently. 
and they had a and there's a second one coming up but they had a, a workshop on how to design a democracy like we all had to sit down and, with people we didn't know and try to like find the design principles and like and it was and it's like sounded easy it was super difficult you know it was it was really you know, and it was became very kind of how difficult it is and how fragile and i was uh, it was a very interesting experience but then i'm thinking like that's also like we we should have a performance workshop designing for death of um the organization yeah yeah we we have um in in the business that we're starting we've been we have an idea of how to do this like for for us mm-hmm. so it'd be really fun to run that idea by you we call it the um the RCO the regenerative community organism Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's fun to see how everything cascades from when you have an end. Like yeah. you you have certain things we want to seed in to start with, mm-hmm. and then we know that it's going to die. Yeah, we don't know when or you know, but but we know it it is going to die, mm-hmm. and so then we can set an intention for, um, you know, kind of that that like. There is so many coaching exercises too. It's like mm-hmm. imagine yourself on yeah. your deathbed. What do you wish? Yeah. What would you have done differently? Blah blah blah. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, yeah. and so, so just doing that exercise now at like the moment of conception, I guess, of this yeah. like idea, it it gives us a lot of clues of how we want to conduct ourselves, mm-hmm. and and it also gives us a lot of clues of like how we don't want to conduct ourselves, mm-hmm. like what. These are clearly things we don't want to do, mm-hmm. almost to the extent that nothing is worth it. For instance, we're really trying to avoid any language around maximization of anything, always like thinking about sort of optimization or even like balancing like mm-hmm. in, in, yeah. in the language and stuff like that. So, interesting. yeah, but it'd be really fun to, to talk about that. Yeah, and, and I'm also and, thinking like we can use that more in like everyday life in a way like if you and i think that's also a problem in some organizations for example there are people i'm just thinking like i'm I'm watching succession right now on hbo that's like the typical the 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 father who won't let go of things uh, in the company but it could also be i think in any organization if you know we we could have much more of that principle with us that uh, you know we're not gonna be there so let's design for kind of our own death in a way too that we're not going to be part of this this should not i mean i think i, I used to work with um with sida development aid in sweden a long time ago that was also i mean it was very much like i mean really we have to design that we're not going to be here we, we no it can't depend upon us and I think in a way, like teaching, every time I have a course, of course, in a way it's, I mean, as a teacher, you die in a way. You're not going to be there for sure. It's got to be that they, I mean, my idea is like the students should carry some kind of curiosity. That's my only goal, really, further in life so they can keep on learning. It's, as also in relationships, I'm thinking like, you know, if I... 
you know, if I was to give like the best to my partner, not because I'm going to be there forever, but that he's going to carry some just like great skills and great uh, a development with him. That would also be a much nicer, non-possessive way of approaching the relationship. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it relates to like feedback too, like where, because I've felt it in feedback, like where do I, if, if I know that the other person is genuinely has my concern, like uh, in front of everything else, I can, I can take, like, you know, it's, the, the, it's so much easier to hear what's being said and what's being offered me and like take that as a gift. Whereas if I feel that there are like conflicting interests, so like if you take that responsibility of, yeah, there are a few, I, I work with, uh, or I've been, been, uh, ha- had the privilege to work with a, a person who's very v- versed in like improv. And oh, yeah. she always says like, um, she always calls, uh, one of the things that she says about improv is like one of the fundamental principles, like always make your co-actor look good. You know, and then you have that. And I'm imagining that is similar in the circus. Like you just, you need to catch people. And like, if something goes wrong, then you catch each other. And like, you have that. Mm. And then you design, of course, for like, when things go wrong, you are like, end with you end up with broken egos, but not with like broken bodies. Like in a, certain things you probably have to have some more redundancy. Right. And that's a great, I think, design principle for culture too, huh? You know, if and it's, it, it would be so much easier. I, I'm, I'm not good at that. But if, you know, if I would walk in, like, it would all be about my colleagues looking good and developing and being better. And that would be, you know, could we find also like reward systems where, you know, the better I actually let somebody else be good, that's that's the one that should be rewarded, not that I do well myself. That is, I think it's such an important principle. It is. And, and I like and that improv. God. And then there's the measurement thing again, because like, it's it's mm-hmm. like if we, also given how we, I don't think we necessarily work like that always, but I think that there is a, given how we have been steeped in the culture, uh, that, that we are in at the moment when we start rewarding for it's going to be like a, I've said it before on the podcast but it's like a reductive reciprocity like that's it's like it's it becomes smaller absolutely because totally we measure it whereas yes. like it didn't it doesn't have to be like that but it is it becomes that because of our pre-programming and like our the way that we look at the world and understand mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. true Agree, agree. And it's so hard to find that first string to. It's like the Nora Bateson quote, like change everything at once. You know, you have to like, and, and you're like, but but how do I do that? It's so <laughs> difficult, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have very, yeah. Yeah, to me, well, so you think about Nora Bateson. I think I think about Martin Haglund. Have you read him? Just, I've just heard him. I haven't read mm-hmm. for since I had kids pretty much, but I'm, I'm listening to podcasts. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have young kids, old kids too, but they read yeah. more than you do at one point. You're like, oh, I can't keep up with the reading. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> right. yeah, I give you, oh, you should good. read this. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, actually. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, yeah, I'm thinking Martin Haglund um, right now. 
go back to him and think about it for this new article that we're writing or whatever we're doing. And if people want to get in touch with you or work with you, where can they uh, find you? Oh, that's a good question. They can find me uh, at uh, the Stockholm School of Economics, of course. There's, uh, I run a research center for arts, business and culture. So they can email me there or find me through um, the website that I see. But I also have a, a, my little NGO that's called FICA Project. So that's FICAProject.org. It's a website. And uh, then LinkedIn or any social media. I'll put some links in the in the description yeah. to the episode as well. Thank you so much for taking the time. And oh, thank you for providing me with a wonderful idea that I'm carrying with me now. Uh, I'm actually teaching here this afternoon. I'm having my students to. I'm so tired of being in classrooms and uh, Zoom, not to mention. So, but I'm actually inviting them to my home. So I've been baking banana bread and uh, we'll have some, and, and we're actually exploring interesting ideas. So maybe I'll bring your idea with me to my students so it can carry on to next generation of business students. I get so curious about hearing what they, how they stand and yeah. what, what bubbles up in them. Yeah. I'll do that and I'll get back to you. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Thank you.